Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the third episode of Listen, Learn, Love podcast. I'm Haram Gill, the host of this podcast, and here with me are our other members, Caitlin Walsh, Meredith Baskerville, and Hammond Gill. Oh boy, this week marks yet another special week, my dudes and dudettes. This week marks the start of a very theological journey. From this week onwards, we will start talking about topics that are very applicable in our daily lives, but are also heavily theological. Yeah, so this is all meant to help you guys and us learn more about topics we never thought would have been so important in our lives. After all, we can never stop learning, especially as Christians. And as we start to face difficult topics, it will be up to all of us to be patient, loving, and certainly understanding to prevent all sorts of issues from popping up. We're trying to set a good example. Yes, we want to set a good example and share the love of Christ through challenging yet important discussions. I'm very glad everyone is on the same page and definitely looking forward to today. So let's begin. Okay, so normally every week we will have a guest speaker that will help to enlighten and enrich our conversations. But unfortunately, in continuation, just like last week, we decided to delay guest appearances until next month as we try to coordinate with those guests. So until then, we'll just be diving into our topic by ourselves, and we hope that you will still enjoy it. Like we said before, any guest that we have on the podcast is here to present something new and something different to the table that all of us will be able to get something great out of it. And we're all in this together. Just like last week, after the weekly guest is introduced, it is time for our oath. Every week we'll be reciting a short oath that promises to be faithful and humble to each other, just as a safe way to show all of you that we love one another and that no matter the differences, we'll all be brothers and sisters in Christ in the end. So without further ado, here it is. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I will use my all to glorify his name. All that I will speak will not be through my flesh, but through the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. Knowing that I am not perfect, I will open my eyes and listen to the words of my neighbor, and I will love each and every one of the members here today, just as Christ loves me. Will everybody abide by this oath, yay or nay? Yay, I say! (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. So now that the oath is done, let's talk about our weekly topic. So, Caitlin, what is the topic of this week? The topic of this week is... Is there a correct way to approach baptism? So kind of connecting with last week, as we discussed about friendships and relationships as Christians, we found it necessary to begin our theological journey with the topic of baptism. So what is it? Baptism is the action of applying water to a person to symbolize the death burial, and rebirth of one's life within Christ. Now, to avoid triggering our listeners, we use the term applying so that we can further clarify how that water is applied and what it means when it is applied. And with that being said, what is the correct way to approach baptism? To start this week, we will have moi, our very own Haram Gil, to start. As we discussed before, what is baptism? So when I was researching and doing all these um, studies with all these different theologians and scholars, I came to the conclusion that baptism is a ritual where a person undergoes a spiritual rebirth in Christ uh, or a washing away of original sin and purification of the soul. This is a ceremony to mark the journey of faith together with Christ, 
because before it, we may have followed Christ, but baptism allows us to declare such a following rather just by the word of mouth. As I mentioned in our earlier episode, there are over 45,000 denominations in the world. According to such denominations, baptism can be split into four categories, being immersion or submersion, and then effusion or pouring, aspersion or sprinkling, and non-practice. Additionally, many churches practice infant baptism. Wait, could you clarify what non-practice is? Or oh, is that just not baptizing? Yes, some churches do not believe in the practice of uh, baptizing because, you know, um, I didn't believe that myself. But, you know, again, there are 45,000 denominations and over millions and millions of Christians, and they all have their different beliefs, right? Interesting. I might have a point on that later on. (laughs) And uh, like I said before, additionally, many churches do practice infant baptism, just like non-practice or different types of it. And out of all these, the Bible is clear in its example of baptism. And this is where I'm going to be a little direct. Immersion slash submersion is how Jesus was baptized. So why is this important? It's not important just because it explicitly states that method, but because of its spiritual significance. So let's all look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Good old Matthew. Then comes Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you and come you to me. And Jesus answering said to him, Allow it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up immediately out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The method is stated in verse 16, denoted by went up straight away out of the water. But a crucial point here is what comes afterwards saying, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him and he was the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The significance of what happened to Jesus after being lifted out of the water cannot be understated. And we all understand while we are not Jesus, we can never be Jesus. What immersion baptism accomplishes is not only vital because he did it, but because it allows us to be completely and undeniably surrounded by the forgiveness of sins and the remissions of an old life. Can you guys like imagine the scene? I feel like yeah. we, we can, but it, it's like nothing compared to what actually happened. Like when I read this, uh, it's like one of the most colorful and well-described scenes in the Bible. Yet I feel like no matter how we can kind of picture it in our brains, it's like like literally the spirit of God descended and God was speaking. <clears throat> I think this is just really uh, incredible and dramatic. And even, oh, man, it gives me goosebumps when it was, and he literally said word for word, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Like uh, when I think of my dad being like, I am pleased in you. It's like, oh, Asian parent is pleased with this son. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but, but actually, yeah. And it said like a dove, right? Like a dove. Like a dove. Yes. So what does like that like dove. mean? Like gracefully and yeah i think peacefully yeah i my pastor at my church actually used this in his sermon we we talked about baptism a little bit this sunday and um yeah he was saying it's it's a symbol of peace and 
it, it's not a hawk that comes down and <laughs> it's not something that you know is gonna just you down uh-huh. to hurt you. No, it's a dove and a dove is a symbol of peace and just beautiful. So um, all, all really good points. And that actually leads me into Romans chapter six, verse one through 11. I'll read that for you once again. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are in debt to sin live any longer therein Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might not be destroyed, Hereafter, we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died to sin once, but that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 4 speaks a lot of volumes to me. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should also walk in the newness of life. I'd like to continue the rest of the verses in emphasis, but I think the point was pretty much made. Um, In all honesty, many people can argue that they can feel the same in um, sprinkling or you know, uh, pouring aspersion or fusion. However, uh, I'd like to make the point that the example was made clear in the Bible that the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical importance cannot be ignored of what happens when you are dunked. So the next question goes, there are churches around the world that do not have access to clean water, much less water at all. Um, In many ways, that is true and the cold, sad truth. However, I'd like to point out several things that we can think about in our daily lives. So let's think about our Islamic, our Hindu, and our other religious friends that we may have. What I want to emphasize is that in this world, there are so many people that will risk their lives just to do what is right in the eyes of their religion. I feel as if a lot of us Christians are too complacent within our lives and can get too comfortable with what we have. So um, I saw actually a video on YouTube of American army forces in Afghanistan risking their lives to get baptized in the Jordan River. In an area like that, you can get sniped, shot, and or blown up at any minute. And they still chose to risk that and go get baptized. Now, what I'm saying is there is no answer. I mean, for, for us to say, okay, you know, because you didn't get yourself dunked in water, you're going to hell. That's not the case. The case is that for us as churches to try your best in every circumstance to get to that point. I mean, us as Americans, I think we're all in agreement that we can maybe go an hour to two hours, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to a body of water, or you can get a bathtub or a pool. Because the the importance and significance of what Jesus has done should be made clear. 
just like the olden days of the Bible and or the other religious uh, sects of the world where they will risk their lives just to do what is right for their religion. For us too, I think it is much less the same that we have to find our own passion and chase after things that are so important. And to me and to a lot of Christians and to maybe all of us here, baptism is so, so important. Mm, so is, is one thing you're saying, especially Christians who have the means to get baptized in, in submersion, but choose uh, like those kinds of Christians, if they choose not to simply because it's inconvenient, uh, things like that, then kind of comparing those to Christian, other Christians who are widely persecuted and might get killed while being baptized, like um, that shouldn't be an excuse. That's that's what you're saying. One, one thing you're saying, right? Um, I think I can make that agreeable. Yes, in many ways. I think um, we have brothers and sisters out there who <laughs> just are committing a crime by holding this, this Bible. They're committing a crime in North Korea just by having a Bible, but they're still reading it. This, this, you know, quote unquote, silly old book that tells us the story of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, but they still hold it. Baptism, nonetheless, as people read, is very important because why? Jesus did it. Jesus commands so. So for us who are like, oh, no, the lake is an hour away. That is too inconvenient. It just it makes me a little upset when I think about that because it's so important. Like this, our faith is what defines us. Baptism allows us to receive a connection. So father and son, father, daughter, like that is a lifeline. So no, I'm not saying that you're going to go to hell because you didn't do it and or you did this, did that. It's just more of the look at yourself, review what church, what Christianity, what baptism means in your life and think of what steps and what lengths you need to take mm -hmm. to get there. You bring up a, a great point. I would agree that in the U.S. we value convenience and discipline generally tends to be a bit more difficult for us, probably because we're a prosperous nation, but... I'm curious, do you think that the reason why people started practicing sprinkling, do you think that was because of that, because of laziness? Or I will reasons? actually touch into that. Yes, there are. there is a very theological reason for those. I don't, I genuinely don't think it was because of out of, out of uh, laziness. I think that there were some uh, interpretive things in the Bible, you know, because there's many Bibles out there, right? We have Catholicism, we have, you know, Christianity. And while those things were being discovered and many people were studying the Bible, they started to kind of disperse. Okay. And I will go into that. So great point you mentioned right there, which then I'm going to quickly dive into Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. So that verse in particular makes it clear that baptism is a necessary component in our faith journey. It's our responsibility of the church and its congregation to fulfill such an obligation, which is why so many churches do it. We as humans tend to say that we quote unquote tried. And like I said, I don't intend to start hard arguments by saying some of us don't try hard enough. Some of us don't do it. Some of us don't do that. But if we look at the plain and hard truth, it's what it is. Being in Michigan and Indiana, I mean, come on, we're surrounded by waters, right? We have access. We are blessed. We are truly blessed with clean, beautiful water. The half of the world may not even have. We're so blessed to have such a resource. And I firmly believe that if a church wants to follow the original example of immersion baptism, it is and always will be possible, especially for our American counterparts. And, you know, being a Christian is uncomfortable to say the least. I mean, let's be honest, it's, it's hard to be Christian, but baptism is a way for us to engage in a way that makes being Christian doable. Knowing that no matter how comfortable, uncomfortable, uncomfortable it is, no matter how cornered we may feel in the world, Jesus is with us and will always be with us. With that being said, 
is there a certain criteria for being baptized? Certainly. So let's start by looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. According to the chapter as a whole, verses 14 through 41 was about Peter's message at Pentecost. So after his message, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he answered with verse 38 by starting with repent, followed by and be baptized. The same criteria can be seen in Acts chapter 18 when Paul was visiting Corinth and he visited a synagogue. Verse 8 tells us that the chief ruler of the synagogue, oh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Crispus, said, believed in the Lord with all his heart. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So far, we've seen three examples of how baptism was carried out. The baptism of Jesus, the message of Peter, and the baptism of the Corinthians. The first criteria is such that one can acknowledge that the Lord Jesus is their only hope and savior or the belief of it. The second criteria is that one can repent their sins beginning the rebirth process. Only then can one truly die and live again with Christ. So you got to know who Christ is and you got to repent of your sins and say, I'm going to go together with Christ hand in hand. Now, this goes to show that infant baptism then doesn't make a whole lot of biblical theological sense uh, when we just look at those verses. Now, I understand that it brings a lot of emotional significance to parents to show Christ that they're dedicating their children to a Christian lifestyle. I understand that fully. However, this was a practice that was never once mentioned in the Bible directly, and most importantly, defies the criteria. Emotions can be dangerous because they have the ability to blind us in our judgment between sound biblical thought and personal agendas. For example, and let's think about this a little bit, a baby does not have the ability to acknowledge that they believe in Jesus Christ, meaning that they cannot repent of their sins. Can, can, can you just imagine like a baby's first words are, I believe in Jesus. But that's the point right there. A baby cannot speak. A baby has no logical thought. They are crying because of pain, being squeezed out of that. And on top of that, all of us are born with sin, are we not? Then all of us have to go through the same process of learning who Jesus is and how we are to repent of our sinful natures, right? We're all in the same boat. None of us are pure. None of us are apostles. None of us are prophets. Jesus Christ laid it out for us to repent and to learn. Now, with all the pain in my heart, time does not allow me to go into the depth of how effusion, aspersion, and infant baptism came to be through Catholicism. Um, more specifically, some great resources to look at would be John Wesley, John Calvin, and Martin Luther. All I can tell you for right now is that one needs to know until we go into more depth that is, is that besides immersion, no other form of baptism existed originally. This Bible, dunking. Okay. And in Leviticus, there was a verse that I think Mary and I were talking about uh, that regarded to anointing or the pouring of oil. And that's a separate, that's a separate thing that we can talk about later if we want to. No matter how much we think that the Bible changes with time, it does not. And Revelations 22 is one of the most direct testaments to that statement. And to finish, I think Pat Barrett, one of my favorite, favorite gospel singers, said it best by his song, Build My Life. And he says, Holy, there is no one like you. 
there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. That was a fantastic description at the end. Yeah, and, uh, I think you described well the significance of baptism, uh, because otherwise, why would we? Why would we be baptized? So good job. Yeah, definitely. Um, I see how immersion has a different implication than the other types of baptism would. I mean, I have questions about the, because you mentioned other uh, forms of baptism, but then again, we don't have a lot of time. So that would be for another time. Yeah. And we'll actually touch that on one of our future topics. So stay tuned. Next up is Caitlin's viewpoint. Take it away. All right, so I want to make a few disclaimers. (laughs) Um, First, I am by no means an expert on baptism. I am just your average Joe. I am studying at Moody Bible Institute, but I am just a weenie freshman. Yeah, I I think Um, you've accrued more baptism knowledge than any of us. (laughs) We actually haven't gotten there yet in my (laughs) studies. So, but this podcast has encouraged me to do a lot of research prior to the session about baptism, and I've learned a lot. Yes, so please correct me if I'm mistaken on any of my facts. Um, I welcome your corrections. And then my second disclaimer is that my viewpoint today is not conclusive. I'm always willing to hear other perspectives and grow in my understanding of baptism. And the third thing is that um, we are dressing, it seems, only the act of water baptism um we're not discussing like the baptism of the spirit or the baptism of fire we're not discussing if those two are separate baptisms um so i just wanted to clarify that because there are different baptisms from what it seems in the bible um i also want to include a concise definition of baptism uh, by stephen wellham from the gospel coalition he said water baptism is an ordinance or sacrament instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ to be practiced until the end of the age, which signifies a believer's union with Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and one's membership in the church, God's new covenant people. So I think most Orthodox Christians would likely agree with that definition. However, legitimate questions arise about the meaning of baptism, Does baptism save us, or is it a symbol of an inward reality? We also debate the mode of baptism, as Haram discussed. Is it full immersion, sprinkling, or effusion? And then we also debate the proper subjects of baptism. Can infants be baptized, or is baptism limited to those who can make an intelligent decision? And so because of these many questions, there's been an ongoing discussion about baptism for centuries. And so I'm just going to briefly summarize some of the different views of baptism and share my my two cents. So the sacramental view, which is reflected by Roman Catholicism, uh, they basically believe in simple words uh, that baptism is what saves a person, both infants and adults, and the act of baptism washes away their sins, literally. I would not say I agree with this view. They overemphasize the importance of the sacraments. Sacraments nonetheless are important and instituted instituted by God for good reasons, but it contradicts grace through faith. It's a works-based salvation. Uh, This view uses specific scriptures to support their argument that 
makes it sound like ritual save us. For example, 1 Peter 3, Peter explains how baptism corresponds to the story of the flood. In verse 21, he said, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or Roman Catholics will also use John 6, verses 54 to 55, for the Eucharist. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up for the last day. For my flesh is uh, food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So they interpret it literally. However, when taken in the context of scripture as a whole and letting the text speak for itself, there's no foundation for the belief that God intended these passages to be taken as support for rituals as a means of salvation. That idea was constantly rebuked by Paul and the other apostles in the New Testament, such as the whole book of Galatians or the council at Jerusalem in Acts 15. And then the second view of baptism is a covenantal view, which is reflected by Reformed Covenant theology. They basically believe that baptism of the New Covenant replaces circumcision of the Old Covenant, so that both sacraments signify God's sign and seal of his covenant promises. Uh, They believe that baptism objectively brings a person, infants and adults, into the church, but does not necessarily result in salvation. That is why, parallel to the Old Testament, even if infants are baptized under the new covenant and considered covenant members, they're not saved unless they themselves choose faith in Christ. I personally can understand why some Christians take this view. No doubt there's some continuity between the old and new covenants due to the one plan of God. But I think if God wanted baptism to be a direct replacement of circumcision and that we should practice baptism just like the Jewish people practice circumcision, he would have made that clear. So they use Colossians 2 verses 11 through 12 to support their argument, which reads, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. But if we look at the context of Colossians, Paul in this epistle is addressing a few problems in the Colossian church. So they were basically emphasizing Jewish rites of circumcision. And so Paul answers this issue by reminding them that they have spiritual baptism. No other commencing rite is needed. My source is the essence of the New Testament. I'm trying to get better at citing sources because that's important by Elmer L. Towns. But just from listening to that piece of past of scripture, like, do you guys think that Paul's implying that Christians should practice baptism like the Jews practice circumcision? Like, I don't think it necessarily sounds like that. So uh, I just have two cents to add to that. It's a really good point that you brought up the Jewish circumcision, um, because back then that circumcision was commanded by God as law. We no longer have law. It, it's, it's a misconception to say that if we break a law in Jesus Christ, we're going to hell. That's not the case. So I do not believe that baptism should be treated as the circumcision of the Judaic laws, because that would mean that it's condemnation. But that's not it. Mm-hmm. Baptism is, I think, I think you mentioned it before, a dedication to Jesus Christ, saying that we will live a life alongside him, with him, for him. 
So it's a commandment, but it's not such that it will condemn us to hell if we don't do it. Right, right. So it's yeah, a different yeah, context. Yeah. Yes, yes. A whole different context. Judaic laws do not apply to us directly. Yeah. Because Jesus fulfilled those laws. Right. Maybe I don't know enough about the covenantal view, um, but I don't really see how they kind of, it's kind of implied that like they kind of pull, it feels like they pulled it out of thin air. Like I don't really see oh. specific uh -huh. scriptures where it says that this replaces uh, circumcision. Yeah. Like it's just a sacrament to be practiced. That is a fascinating view though, that it replaces circumcision. At the same time, I understand yeah. how that might, have, that might have come up because there's so much that's missing from the Bible that every Christian kind of interprets parts of the Bible in their own ways, thinking that it implies right. certain things. And that's what leads to a lot of debates. But, uh, but I, 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 I would agree that it doesn't really make sense to say that baptism directly replaces circumcision. And also the covenantal view uh, uses the household baptisms in the New Testament to support their view. And frankly, I don't have a problem with infant baptism. I think if Christians want to pray over their child and dedicate them to the Lord, I think that's great. But it becomes a problem, I think, if someone argues that all Christians have to do this or that baptism guarantees their child's salvation, which the covenantal view doesn't hold that belief. And then lastly... There's the believer's baptism view as reflected in the Baptist and the believer's church tradition. They don't believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, and they believe that baptism should only apply to believers. This excludes infants since they can't make an intelligible decision. They believe baptism is an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality that the believer has already experienced by faith in Christ, and that baptism is a public testimony that one has entered into faith with union with Christ and it marks those who believe in Christ. So I think I align most closely to this view. Uh, throughout the entirety of scripture, we see that the sacraments have been signs and seals of God's covenant, that these like, physical, visible, and touchable rituals also help us remember the Lord and what he has done. I don't think they, they save us, but they're good practices instituted by God for good reason. Another point of issue discussed regarding baptism as a mode, I think Haram made a great argument for immersion. Also, according to the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible, lexicographers universally agree that the primary meaning of the Greek word for baptism is to dip or to immerse. And there's a similar consensus of scholarly opinion that both the baptism of John the Baptist and the apostles was by immersion. And like Haram, you shared, like the, Jesus came up out of the water. So did the, the Ethiopian. He came up out of the water. However, like Haram also mentioned, what if a new convert wanted to be baptized but wasn't able to? Like whether they don't have a large supply of water available or maybe they have a physical condition. I think that if the situation called for a baptism that wasn't full immersion, I think it wouldn't be the end of the world. Like I've heard crazy stories about people baptizing converts with coca-cola because there wasn't enough water in their nation <laughs> um, but i mean if there is enough water like here in the u.s then i would say yeah we should definitely do immersion because that was seemingly <laughs> the intentions of baptism was uh, oh to do gosh. full immersion <laughs> coca-cola baptism <laughs> that's crazy yeah wow. it's one of those crazy ywam stories of course <laughs> 
I think what matters is that we are baptized. And while there are good criterias we can find in the Bible of baptism, there's not as much criteria for the New Testament sacraments as there were was for the Old Testament. Like in the Old Testament, the sacraments were so specific. Like you cannot misinterpret that. And so I propose that there there's a reason this baptism and communion aren't that specific. Um, they didn't necessarily give a list of a do's and don'ts, whereas the the Old Testament was very specific. And then another question addressed in in churches is who can baptize? Should baptism be administered only by ordained pastors and possibly elders, or can any Christian baptize others? So Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So to answer the question of who can baptize, I would ask another question. Who is considered a disciple? Who does this Great Commission apply to? I'd imagine that Jesus intended a disciple-making movement. Jesus gave this commission to his disciples, uh, which in turn his disciples would pass on this great commission to others. So personally, I think a born-again Christian with the Holy Spirit can baptize others. However, I understand that some people prefer order um, and that also there are people that are set apart for vocational ministry. And so I understand why someone would prefer that, but... There, I don't think that there is anything like specific in scripture that we can see that someone needs to have a certain authority to baptize, unless I'm mistaken. What do you guys think? There seems to be a pattern, but I think you're right. There's not one criteria that says this is this. I think the examples of John the Baptist, um, Peter, Paul, just kind of show that they were leaders within the spiritual community. Um, that they, like you said, like they're born again Christians, first of all. And second of all, they, like I said, were leaders. So I, I think it's more, much less more a preference and a recommendation that a leader within that spiritual community should baptize. Like it wouldn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense for a very, 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 very new Christian to go baptize a hundred other people because they don't know enough about Jesus Christ. They need to acknowledge certain things to receive that spiritual baptism. So I think that's where I can get the examples of why those specific people were chosen to baptize as mm -hmm. examples. I think it'd also be interesting to ask if, if there are a certain type of person who has the authority to baptize, but you get baptized with complete faith, but from a person who is not authorized, then can you consider yourself baptized? Kind of the same way as, well, Maybe a little different, but imagine you were converted to being being a Christian by someone who had bad intentions of bringing you to Christ. Actually, in that context, I think it's okay. But do you get what I mean? Like the source of how you came about to be a Christian slash how you came about to be baptized. I wonder if that's important. That's a good point. Actually, I was reading an article about this. Um, I did not record the source, but basically they, they brought up the point um, of Philippians, Paul addressed those who were preaching Christ from envy and strife, um, and these people did not have good intentions, 
and Paul responded by saying, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And so I wouldn't say that's necessarily an equivalent for baptism, but I think it goes to show that sometimes what matters most above all is that Christ is preached and that people are baptized. Yeah, that's awesome. Nice, yeah. I would like to lead with a question. So you said that you align most closely with believers' baptism, um, but you also said that you wouldn't mind infant baptism. Could you explain to me a little bit how you can align with believer baptism, but also be okay with infant baptism? Yeah, I think I said earlier that I wouldn't have a problem with it unless these people who wanted to do infant baptism uh, started preaching that everyone should do this or that their child is guaranteed salvation because I don't think that is biblical. And so I think people who do want to practice infant baptism um, have a desire to see their children know the Lord. And, and so they want to dedicate them and uh, pray over them. And so I don't have a problem with that personally. So like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that I can understand where they're coming from. Oh, yeah. And if this child grows up and comes to know the Lord in faith, then being baptized again, I guess, when they can make an intelligible decision. I've also heard of churches, instead of doing infant baptism, they would do baby dedications. So it's the parents, instead of getting right. baptized, they are dedicating their baby to the church and saying, we'll raise think, this this child. So I think that's kind of similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I I have heard of that, and I would probably prefer that. Like maybe, like like I said, my, conclu- my conclusions here are not conclusive. Yeah, um, yeah, we're all still learning. But maybe it would be best to just keep baptism the way that we see it in Scripture and right. just call that child dedication instead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I 100% agree with that. I, th- I think there's nothing wrong with child dedication. As a matter of fact, I think we should encourage it. Like you just you brought upon a new life blessed with with by God. Right now, it's just saying, you know, Simba, oh, I'm going to raise you. With Christ. <laughs> oh, right. But I just I respect your decision and uh, your opinion that infant baptism is one in which parents can do it for dedication. But I do think that there should be a distinction because of that believer baptism, because baptism was a sacrament kind of commanded to us by Jesus Christ as a way of dedicating our lives to him as an acknowledgement of our faith. So that's just my two cents. Cool. Any other questions for Caitlin? If not, we'll have Meredith go next. Yeah. So I'm going to start this off by saying a lot of my points have already been made. So this will probably be brief and concise. Great. Well, um, you'll just uh, reemphasize some things. Right. That's always I do good. have some, st- some, some interesting points to add. But I just wanted to start off by saying that baptism is such a beautiful experience. And I think that if you haven't been, if you understand Haram's Uh, description of it. It is an absolutely life-changing and beautiful experience, and I highly recommend it to anyone (laughs) who hasn't already been baptized to definitely get baptized because it's something that words can't even describe how it changes your life, and it's just something about 
the act of cleansing your old self and emerging a new person with a life dedicated to God that's so uplifting as a Christian. Everyone's spiritual journey is vastly different. That being said, baptism is something that we're called and commanded to do. And when you feel the spirit pushing you towards it, it is our duty to follow. Personally, I got baptized uh, my senior year of high school. I knew very little of how much I was going to struggle after that point. But looking back, I would never change a thing that I did. And I firmly believe that the spirit was pushing me to arm myself for what I was going to encounter. And by putting Christ in between me and what I was going to face, I was able to face my problems head on and can honestly say that I, had I not made the commitment, life after that point would have looked very different. Sorry, if I may interject, I think it's awesome that your life actually, you felt your life change after you were baptized, because that's exactly what's supposed to happen according to the Bible. Um, you're supposed to be made anew in Christ. Um, now, yeah, definitely everyone has different uh, experiences with it, but I'm so glad you shared that, uh, and I'm happy for you. And uh, yeah, I think I think you present a very good example of how yeah your life can change after you become baptized. Thanks. Yay, Meredith. Yay. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. Um, I appreciate that. But what does baptism mean in general? We, we already discussed a lot of this before. Mentioning in Acts 2.38, I think Haram also mentioned this. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I think an important part of that is the you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I think that it was intended to be a way for to connect us to God, to unite us, and to cleanse us. And it, it's a marriage just as much as it is a new life. Um, and then going into Romans 6, 1 to 4, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Going off of what also Haram had said previously, I think baptism is a rebirth, and I think that's an important aspect of it going into baptism. We are leaving behind our old ways of sin and our old ways are dead. So in just as much as it's a death, it's a rebirth. It's the being born again into a new life through Jesus Christ. That's so moving. And so what does the Bible say again about sprinkle and submersive, which has been a, a, a hot topic? Baptism is translated, like Caitlin said from the Greek, baptizo, which means literally to dip. And that being said, it's very indicative of how how it should be done. And I found a really great article about baptism but on Apologetics Press by Caleb Colley. It goes into really great detail about the different verses people bring up. And Haram mentioned us discussing earlier about uh, Leviticus. And that specifically is Leviticus 14, 15 to 16 verse or chapter 14 verse 15 to 16 and the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the lord 
basically to sum up what he was talking about in this article, people take this a little bit out of context and try to use it to rationalize sprinkle baptism. Basically, what he said was that this was not referencing baptism. This, like Haram said before, is it anointing? And this was referencing recovering leper, a recovering leper and was also under the Mosaic law, which is not, like we said, applicable to current Christians. So he goes over through a bunch of other verses too, Isaiah 52, 15, and Ezekiel 36, 25, and Acts 22, 41. They all come to pretty similar conclusions of it's in context that's different from baptism. So I think that that kind of encourages the more submersive aspect of this. It kind of, everything that I've found that encourages sprinkle just has kind of been canceled out by context. And so that is what led me to this conclusion. Yeah, and also in particular that passage from Leviticus, the whole point of us being baptized as Christians is to be raised to new life in Jesus. That Leviticus law was like years before him. Um, yeah, so, precisely. Yeah, definitely not applicable. Not just years, many, many, many A years. long time before. A long time ago. I also looked at Matthew 3.16 talking about Jesus's baptism. And I think something that I can add to that discussion would be we are called to follow Jesus and to be like him. So I think we should all strive to be baptized like him. Jesus was a perfect human. None of us will ever be perfect, but we all strive to be. We all work our hardest to be able to be perfect like him, even though it is unattainable. But submersive baptism would be a good way that we can try our best to be like Jesus. Lastly, infant baptism. My point is, again, quite similar to Haram's in that infant baptism is not as much of a profession personally. It's important to make the decision for yourself and to be able to proclaim publicly to other people that you are dedicating your own life to God. That's the the big factor in in baptism is you're making the decision for yourself. And I think that, well, like Caitlin said, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful testament to be able to dedicate your child. It's not a decision that you can make for them. It's something that they're going to have to come. While you can encourage and lift them up in the church, it's definitely not something. <laughs> yes, yes, Haram, just like Lion King. <laughs> but yeah. I'd like to clarify real quick that Meredith and I did not study together. No, not at all. I purposely did not help her because I wanted her to find her own point. So just in case anyone thought it was way too similar, I did not help her. As as you were speaking, I was like, oh, he's making pretty much every point that I have <laughs> verbatim. <laughs> so if I if I put your script through a plagiarism checker, then um, it, it won't come it's up with a lot of... 100% me, man. Right. I referenced some documents, but... All right, send, send, send it to me, yeah. <laughs> he's so fat. Hammond will judge of that. Yes, Hammond will They'll judge. Like all come up as plagiarism because it's all from the Bible. That's good then, right? You like yeah. it's all good. <laughs> so does anybody have any questions for Meredith? If not, we'll move on to Hammond's, our last viewpoint. Finally! <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I kind of like going last. I, I, I've learned... So much from you guys already from um, personal experiences to like all the because i didn't do a lot of research on the different methods of baptism 
and the underlying uh, principles like sacramental sacramental view or something. So yeah, super interesting stuff. It seems like, yeah, at least some of us are strong proponents of submersion baptism. And I would like to say that I am as well. Uh, and so a lot of my points will be very similar just as Meredith was, but I will repeat them anyways. And so uh, I've once again kind of outlined my, my viewpoint. And the first point that I have is who should receive baptism? And for this drawing again from the Bible, uh, I, try, I try to draw everything that I say from biblical evidence. And so only those who have accepted Jesus Christ and thus already have faith to be baptized. Um, and so my first verse comes from Mark chapter 16, verse 6, 16. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so it's not explicit, but I drew this conclusion from the fact that believing is stated first before baptism. And so you can interpret this in other ways, but I saw it as that. Importantly, I came across a, an important distinction between the KJV and the ESV in terms of a missing verse in Acts chapter 8. Now, in terms of why these verses are missing, all comes from what, uh, you know whether the, the particular Bible version is based on the Alexandrian text or uh, Textus Receptus. However, this was actually kind of mind-boggling to me because this verse is, is present in the KJV, but not in the ESV. And this is the only verse that I can find that explicitly stated that you must believe if you are to be baptized. So this is Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, thou mayest be baptized. This is the example of the Ethiopian eunuch who was on his way back from worshiping Jerusalem. And this was before he met Christ and before he was baptized. So Philip got done preaching the good news of, of, of Jesus to the eunuch. And now he's saying, If you believe, then you can be baptized. And the eunuch he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's proceeded to be baptized. Omitted in the ESV, this is crazy. This is like that one verse that's present in the King James Version that's not present in the ESV. And this is funny because I use the ESV, so a lot of thoughts come up. But in the KJV, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are explicitly stated. In all modern versions, it's implied through what, how the New Testament talks about them as like one and the same. But those three in the same verse, only in the KJV. So a lot of thoughts. I hope we discuss that further in the future. But going back to baptism. Um, so once again, so far, those who have accepted Jesus can be baptized. If this is true, then can children be baptized, as all of us have talked about? And I would like to say, certainly not infants and toddlers. And this, uh, I have a simple uh, opinionated explanation of this. If they can't understand what you're saying, then how do they understand the gospel, right? Uh, so that's a lot to say about that. But then can children be baptized, which is my point. And this is where I learned a lot. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 said, says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in, in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This isn't explicitly talking about baptism, but this is talking about accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Previously before this, I, I wasn't sure if you can um, have faith and be saved as a child when you're being taught all these things, but do you truly understand it? This is saying not only is that true, but this is how you should believe. So what can I say when the Bible says so? 
uh, in terms of this is a little bit of a tangent, but how do children receive the kingdom of God? Because this this is how Jesus is saying that we should receive the kingdom of God. Uh, at first, I thought maybe it's like the kind of doubtless faith that children get. You teach a, a child something, he believes it as truth. And is it because this faith becomes degraded gradually as we become older and more skeptical? Uh, perhaps. But that is also a different point. But yeah, children, since they can believe in Christ, they can be baptized. However, in the Bible, what is kind of confusing to me is that there are those who've accepted Jesus and then received the Holy Spirit before being baptized. And then there are those who received the Holy Spirit after being baptized. And there are two clear verses that show both cases. So, and both in Acts. So Acts chapter 10, verse 47 says, that this is when Peter met with the member of the Italian cohort, the centurion. And this is when the Gentile, the first example of Gentiles being accepted into the kingdom of God. And so Peter goes to them and says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So they already came to Christ and then they were baptized. Now in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe this verse was already mentioned. But yeah, be baptized and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now to me, doesn't the Holy Spirit come with faith? And therefore, if we're going along what I'm saying, the Holy Spirit must be received before baptism. Obviously not because there are these two cases in the Bible. And so, so then, because I'm still firm in the belief that you must be um, saved uh, and have faith before you must be baptized. Therefore, I'm not so sure about when the Holy Spirit is received, although I still believe that it, it, it comes into and guides your life when you come to Christ. So this is another one of those uh, biblical paradoxes that I can't wrap my mind around. My mind around. But overall, we all know that, that as Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and guides us, uh, so we can be rest assured of that. Any uh, comments or questions so far? Sorry, I have a yeah. comment. I was just trying to collect my thoughts. So uh, in that verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says the gift of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. right? If we examine that English for a second, the gift and or gifts of the Holy Spirit is what the Holy Spirit gives you. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the Holy Spirit is the gift. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think in this verse, it's saying mm -hmm. that the gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in that case, it could be some specific gift that we'll have to look at the context of because in this specific one it contradicts acts chapter 10 verse 47 doesn't it yeah, yeah right and the bible has no error and does not do that like wishy-washy thing so there must be a reason for it so when i thought about the gift of the holy spirit it must be the gift that's uh, trying to emphasize mm -hmm. yeah that could be plausible and, and that would make sense if um we're, if we're kind of going along the sequence of you have faith you receive the holy spirit and then you're baptized yeah yeah, yeah. See, that's what that's what I thought too. Obviously, more research is needed. FYI, yeah. right? All of us. Yeah, good point. Did you want to add something, Meredith? You 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 unmuted yourself. That's how I knew. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say that I I love the the story and I love how you tied in the the story of Jesus and the children. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it, and that's a really good aspect. As as I didn't quite think of it like that, and that's a that's a good mm -hmm. just good job. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing good. So moral so far, let's be children. Yeah, but uh, most importantly, I believe that we must be baptized in order to be saved. Uh, this comes from Mark chapter 16, verse 16. 
that says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So there's that. And in John chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is where I bring up another point of the dangers of overinterpretation. It doesn't say unless one is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It says born of water. You can interpret this so many different ways. But I believe the first thing that came to mind was baptism. And that's where I would like to um, end that verse. Now, how, how it should be done. As I said earlier, I'm also a proponent of submersion baptism. And I have a few verses to support that. I have one, actually. <laughs> it comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so from this, I would like to point out, it says buried with him in baptism, not sprinkled with him in baptism, and then raised with him through faith. Now, I believe that it's important to interpret this literally, although not as literally as if you think of being buried. You know, here it's it's being buried underwater, although you don't really say it that way. But yeah, I think it's important to go through the same motions and in that way show that you are physically being renewed into a new life in Christ. Once again, faith through grace allows you to be raised and made anew in Christ. It doesn't make sense to me to suddenly believe in God after coming out of the water. Now, I think this is one point. The next point that I would like to raise is um, important. And I think perhaps everyone can agree upon is that we must be raised to new life in Christ after we've been baptized. And I wanted to talk a little about what does this entail? This entails the changing of our thoughts and our actions. So in terms of our thoughts, all the things that the Bible says, um, more love, no anger, envy, lust, all the emotions of our flesh that bring us away from God, um, and being cognizant of the Lord throughout the day, meditating on his word day and night. In our actions, how can I live more like Jesus today, proclaiming the gospel to those around us? Uh, and reaching and reaching reaching out to uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ who might be going through hard times spiritually, yeah, abstaining from the things of this world, at the minimum, reading the Bible. So I wanted to end with the example of the Ethiopian eunuch that I brought up earlier. And he the, the, this this story was honestly so beautiful and very well summarizes my points. First, the fact that he believed first. Once again, this comes from the missing verse that's present in the KJB version. Before this, actually, Acts chapter 8, verses 34 and 35 says, this is the complete story. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? He's reading the book of Isaiah. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him about the good news about Jesus. So he believed. And he shows this through the next verse. Acts chapter 8, verses 30, verse 37. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Number two, subsequently, he gets baptized after finding a body of water. This is also from the KJV because it includes the missing verse. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch asked, See, here is, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and they baptized him. And, and when they were come out of the water, so th that's where I'll end it. So the verse, the passage says that he came out of the water. So submerging baptism. 
And then finally, he goes on to live a new life in Christ, which is the whole point of baptism. Uh, if we came out of the water and nothing changed for the rest of our life, then um, although the Bible does command us to do it, then what was the whole point of God having us be baptized, right? So Acts chapter 8, verse 39 says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I imagine him um, being teleported away, but I, I, think, I think it's kind of dangerous to uh, imagine things for ourselves. And the eunuch saw him no more and went up, went on his way rejoicing. So yeah, I think when we were baptized, oh, I did want to ask um, all of you if uh, you have been baptized and how was the experience for you. But um, but yeah, I think this example of the eunuch is really beautiful, portrays what baptism should look like. I want to start with my example. When I was baptized in middle school or something, Nothing changed immediately. Nothing changed for the next few years. Not until college, I feel. So that's where I'm confused. I'm like, should I be baptized again if I didn't experience spiritual transformation even soon after that? Um, so that's where I run into some issues. But yeah, how about you guys? Yeah, so I have a pretty weird story with baptism. I was baptized technically three times. Oh. The first time, I was baptized by a friend who believed that any Christian can baptize, that there's not necessarily someone with a certain authority that has to baptize. And then my parents encouraged me that I should get baptized in the church by a pastor. And so I did that when I found my home church and I shared my testimony. It was at Lake Michigan, actually. I was like shaking, sharing my testimony, but it was good. <laughs> yeah, it's always and then, scary. <laughs> and then I had a season where I uh, really was challenged in my faith in kind of left God for a little bit, and then I got baptized again in, in YWAM. So, yeah, I have uh, have a weird relationship with baptism. I'm, I think I had, I was probably not educated in the Word of God. Like, I had very little understanding of Scripture and doctrines. And so, like, it was very easy for me to just kind of believe what someone told me without thinking critically. Um, so that's probably why I got baptized a few times. Nice, yeah, that... I think it's a really great, great thing that you got baptized the, thir the third time in particular. That actually makes me um, now even more inclined to get baptized again because after that point, you kind of committed your life to God and that's what's supposed to happen. So, Yeah. Would you guys all agree that or disagree? What are your thoughts on uh, getting baptized multiple times? Okay. Meredith, I'm going to steal the spot real quick. Oh, okay. Okay. This is really <laughs> amazingly near and dear to my heart. And I most definitely agree that you can get multi baptized multiple times. Let me explain why. So the first thing is that uh, we traditionally get baptized uh, kind of in our teenhood because that's when we can acknowledge that we love our Lord and Savior and we can repent. Let's not forget that we're human, though. We're human, and throughout our lives, we will go and make horrible and tons of mistakes. Uh, thereupon, a time like Caitlin kind of... I wouldn't say left the Lord, but had like a like a tough time struggling with the Lord, right? And then she came back. So she lived her old life. She wanted to renew her life, and now she was reborn. That is just simply who we are as humans. And um, I have not told my parents yet, but I am planning to ask my Presbyterian pastor to baptize me, immersion-wise. Um, in a couple months Ooh, here. I'm telling. <laughs> yes. So this is not only groundbreaking for A, a Presbyterian pastor, but B, the fact that 
Um, like Ham said, I was also baptized. I think for me, it was high school, sophomore year, high school. And not a whole lot changed afterwards. I can't say I was like sobbing. <laughs> My life changed. <laughs> um, but at, there after that point, you know, I lived a mm, somewhat of a good Christian life. And then I just started stumbling. And then I made some really, really bad mistakes. And I can confidently say my walk with Christ was not as fulfilled as it should be. But I think that's also our process of growing up as, as adults. Because then you start to realize certain things. You start to mature. And then you can rededicate that life. Nice. I agree. Meredith. Amen. I already, Amen. I already kind of shared my story before oh, I got, I got, I got baptized. Uh, I think it was, it was close to the end of my senior year of high school. <laughs> and I, I was honestly, I was telling myself, I knew that life after high school is going to get harder. And so I told myself that before, before you graduate, you should get baptized. This was, this was a personal choice. I'm not telling anyone anything. That's not anyone else's job but yourself. But I told myself that I needed to get baptized because I was being called, but lots of stresses were stopping me. And I don't think that anything should stop you from getting baptized. So, yeah. And like I said, a lot changed after <laughs> after I got baptized. And it's been something that can help me along. I still have your baptism yeah, video. Yeah, Haram was and there. Admittedly, admittedly, uh, as oh, I will try to them, veer right? away. Yeah, we were. Yes. Oh. I will try to do my best to veer away from romantic feelings. But sometimes <laughs> when I struggle a lot spiritually, I will rewatch her baptism video simply because it gives me healing. And actually, uh, besides you, Meredith, sometimes I look at Alyssa's baptism video because, yeah. man... Alyssa is my sister, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Alyssa Baskerville. Uh, it, you guys should watch it sometime. That, that's exactly what I what I think of when somebody is reborn. <laughs> really, really emotional. Like mm. I'm ready to change. Wow. Yeah, I I would also add that when I did get baptized at the church, it was just such a surreal experience, uh, being welcomed by so many people and oh my so many yeah. people. Um, encouraging cheering me, for cheering for me. So it is, I think it's it is so good to be baptized beautiful. with the body of Christ. Mm. Okay, I think I'm going to get baptized. Amen, now. hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd hope that some of you guys or all of you guys can come to my baptism actually because it's it'll be good. So, Yeah, I would love that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Ham, for sharing. Thank you all for making this uh, as smooth as possible for our first theological discussion. And as usual, there were many great things being said. Now, to help all of our listeners out there, we're going to have each and every one of us present a sentence that will summarize what we truly want each one of you to get out of our viewpoints. Now, just to clarify, these sentences do not represent every single thing that we have said, but are only there for you to get a gist of what we have said in case there is a lot to digest. Absolutely. And in the end, there's a lot that's been said, so we just hope that you, the listeners, can walk away with at least a general understanding. So I'll start with mine. Adult immersion baptism is the only and most correct form of baptism, not just because it was the example set for us, but because it holds immense spiritual, emotional, and physical significance in our life, or in other words, the power to change our lives. Water baptism is a sacrament instituted by Jesus, signifying a believer's union with him in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. 
and one's membership in the new covenant. Therefore, the correct way to perform baptism is by doing it. Baptism is your personal choice to dedicate your life and faith to God and should be submersive and celebrated. Believe, be baptized, and live a new life in Christ. I, I don't know. I don't know. Wow, I like that. Like so yeah, that to the point. That. Really? I wanted to kind of say that. It's like, believe, be baptized. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's so embarrassing. Wait, that was really good, though. <laughs> that was. Straight to the point. All right. Well, thank you all for listening today. And to close this episode, we're going to end in prayer. Each week will be a different member. And for today, we'll have Meredith present a prayer for all of us. Meredith? All right. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for bringing us all here today and allowing us to have such wonderful discussion and be able to share all of our stories. Um, I thank you for guiding our lives and bringing us to this point so that we can um, help other people and be a light to others. And I pray that as this week continues, that you continue to show yourself in our lives and that um, we can have further discussions in the following weeks. And I pray all of these things in your precious name. Amen. 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 We hope that all of you enjoy our discussion. And for this week, think about what baptism means, what the Bible says, and how we can apply that within our lives. Research, talk with others, and remember to share the love. See you guys next week.